Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. Thank you for tuning in to episode eight of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Uh, we've got a great guest today. Um, I've had a lot of people asking, um, obviously I say at the start and at the end often, if you've got any requests for guests, give me a shout on Twitter at Scroobius Pipio or on Facebook or wherever. And on Instagram and on Twitter, I've had a few people say, have I got any plans to have any female guests and my answer is always no because I don't plan based on sex um it it always strikes me as an odd question um if if you've got a specific female guest you'd like to request then go right ahead as I mean this week's guest is indeed by chance our first female guest but she wasn't chosen because she's a girl she was chosen because she's um got an amazing story and in my opinion is an amazing human so it's Jodie Ann Bickley but before I get into that I should do our sponsors we've only got two this week this week we are sponsored by Speech Development Records that is my record label that's why we get to sponsor the podcast for free um if you go to scroobiuspip.co.uk in the web store we've got a lot of stuff on at the moment um i've decided to do a discount code for you podcast listeners so if you enter the code sdr10 you'll get 10 percent off um off everything but i've got t-shirts in the moment i've got jumpers i've got winter bubble hats but probably more interestingly i've got my spoken word dvd or download the digital download of it is five pounds and the dvd is ten pounds but it's got interviews with people like kate tempest on there and polar bear and moose rock wonga and tim key all people that have been suggested for me to interview on the podcast so that's good i will get round to them but in the meantime you can grab that if you'd like as said sdr 10 for 10 percent off of that so go and check it out obviously we've also got b dolan's album no we haven't he's not got his album out yet we will have b dolan's album i promise but we've got the sage francis album we've got the polar bear album we've got the jackama brown album we've got the war and peace album check it out um as you can hear i'm a bit croaky so i apologize for that in advance but i wasn't croaky when i recorded the podcast our other sponsor this week is on it.com on it is a human optimization website they sell um all sorts of supplements. They sell weight stuff, brain stuff, physical stuff, mental stuff. I recommend you check them out. And if you do, you can get 10% off by buying via onnit.com slash Um And that way you will also be supporting the podcast. Thank you very much for that. But on to this week's podcast, we have got a young lady with an absolutely amazing story. Um, earlier this year, I interviewed her in front of an audience at Camp Festival, and I welled up several times. The crowd cried openly numerous times. Um, she's an amazing individual. I won't go into too much detail. I'll just allow our conversation to let you in on that. So enjoy. I'll be back at the end with more details of next week's show and a few bits of information, so stick around at the end. But for now, this is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode eight, with Jodie Ann Bickley. So we are recording. How you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm here with Jodie Ann Bickley. How's how how's how are you on this rainy day in Birmingham? I'm pretty magnificent, actually. I'm feeling pretty well. How are you doing? I'm good. With this is one that we're upstairs in a little hidden room at the Hare and Hound, and this is one of the first places that we met properly. I think. I think so. Because I think we kind of met over. Um, Twitter or Facebook or MySpace or whatever over email initially. Yeah. Um, but I th- I'm sure the first time we properly chatted and hung out was when you booked me and Polar Bear and Ed Sheeran. What a yeah. lineup in, this, in the current. <laughs> I the, know, um, right? And a few others to come and play your. Was it Speak Up? Yeah. Speak Out? Speak Up. Speak Up. It sold yes, out. It right. Um, and yeah, we did that. And that was the first time I met Ed. R- uh, really as well and I'm sure that's the first time we properly talked and hung yeah, out right it was, a, it was a really good night and then you've come along here w- 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 one time when I had my club night here 
and someone passed out sick and an ambulance had to come and look after them. And yeah. I think you hated a girl with dreadlocks that <laughs> night for some reason. I'm sure she won't be listening. Yeah, we can girl, discuss this, it's fine. The girl with dreadlocks was, was in love with you, you I you think. You seem to find her in love. I've never <laughs> met her. I hardly spoke to but her, yeah, but you did I seem helped, to think she I was horrible. I helped her friend. I helped, that was it, it was her friend that yeah, had the, some kind of issue. Yeah, her friend passed out in the toilet and we had to get her out and stuff, but... Yeah, well, thank you. That's been a great podcast. I'm glad we, <laughs> I'm I'm glad we, we got to let people know about the girl that passed out in the hair and hell. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you used to do a spoken word night here, yeah, didn't you? Did. How was that? How did you, what made you decide to go from being a spoken word artist to, right, I'm going to take on organising a whole night? I mean, we're going to get on to the fact that you're always quite happy to try and take on far more than one human should <laughs> Except, but let's start at this early, early inclination of that. Um, well, I'd, I kind of fell into like doing poetry and stuff anyway. And when I won the Roundhouse Slam, um, I realised there wasn't actually much going on in Birmingham with poetry mm-hmm. because we didn't really have any spoken word nights or anything. So, Which was, is crazy considering yeah. Polar Bear is one of exactly. the most known... In, in the UK poetry scene in recent years, I'd say he, him and Kate Tempest are probably the two I would credit as most responsible for the boom and the, the the most people that you hear now that sound like Kate Tempest or Polar Bear they're kind yeah. of they seem to be the catalyst for a lot of what happened exactly and Polar Bear moved to London because there was nothing yeah. really here yeah, for yeah, poetry so. so I was coming home to this and there was nothing here for me to do the thing that I'd just fallen a little bit in love with so yeah. I decided to create something and that's when Speak Up started yeah and it was awesome it was people really good don't realize how little it takes to start a scene and not meaning that it's not hard work but how I mean my memory at the time I think you and Matt Windell was it were, yeah, Matt were, Windell, yeah. were the were two the two poets I knew of from Birmingham and therefore in my mind Birmingham was a thriving spoken word scene but then, <laughs> you know what I mean that's all it takes yeah. that a few people a lot of people who hit me up saying oh we've not ever, ever, already got a scene where I am and things like that it's like well, if you and one other person do it, then if you start a night above a pub like this, then more people will see that and, you know, a scene builds quite quick. So yeah, how did you find that? Did you feel that yeah, that was the case? I just made my made my space. I my, Just some friends would come along to the first few mm-hmm. and then their friends would come and then people would hear about it and they'd come. And it wasn't necessarily people that had ever like heard sp- like spoken word or poetry before. It was just the atmosphere. Yeah. It was like a little... It was like creating a living room outside your house and just making it warm and nice and putting something that you love into it and it it was really lovely it was and really a nice mix as well i think because you'd bring people from other places yeah. and you'd have but you'd also have not spoken word you'd have people like eva eva lazarus and yeah. other, other people like that that i don't know it's it all it was all completely different genres but it seemed to sit comfortably together and make yeah a it, was nice all, evening. it was quite organic i guess yeah. it just felt it was never hard it was just putting some people together and them turning it into something magic. And yeah. it really was. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. Um, so w- I also remember it was at this place. Um, I'm going to turn my phone over now. I the, know, mine's b- just gone Because we're both too. glancing over at the, <laughs> the fact that people are texting or calling us. So, um, yeah, um, so it was also here. Um, obviously, there's a huge thing that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. which we're going to get to quite quick. <laughs> I'm teasing people with this now, but... It was also here that I remember you telling me that, or talking to Polar Bear more, and him getting quite angry about a teacher had told you that your poetry wasn't very good, or you you could never be a poet, or you'd got oh, a bad yeah. mark or something. And oh, then it was really bad. I was um, I'd just gone to uni because um, I wanted to do English with creative writing, and I'd got in without. I'd got in without any qualifications, really. Mm-hmm. I'd got in with just my writing. Yeah. And then I got in, and my creative writing teacher turned around to me, and he was just like, if you write like this, you're never going to be a writer. You're never going to make... You're never yeah. going to make any money about um, with being a writer. You could be a teacher or something, but you won't be a writer. And it just completely broke me. That's I'm a bit a of a fragile little flower sometimes. Thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he wrote it on... I think he wrote it on my... He wrote it on my work as well. Yeah. But I was like the bottom of the class. Yeah. Like, he really didn't like me. I then relished after that s- s- seeing you do spoken word at festivals all over the place and, <laughs> and being successful and adored in that way, then it just shows that kind of it's such a, I don't know, individual and personal thing that you can't be, it can't be 
right or wrong as such. A teacher shouldn't be able to say... No. It's, 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 it's the reason I did um, photography up the road in, in Wolverhampton at uni for a year and I stopped doing that for a similar reason in that I suddenly realised this isn't really an art form that you can or you should be able to get graded in and marked in because it's art. Exactly. So it's not really a, this can... is how you do it and this is wrong. It's, you know. You have to go and do it and find your own little way, I think. I think I don't think someone can teach you how to write. I think it can give you, like, techniques to maybe tweak it and stuff, but I think it's kind of an in thing. You've either got it or you haven't, and for somebody to just be like, you can't do that. Yeah. And then you have to go and prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you did go and prove them wrong, <laughs> and you went and did tons of spoken word everywhere. And we're going to jump straight forward now <laughs> to um, to Bestival, where you came and did my uh, Saturn Lizard Lounge stage. Was it 2011? Yeah, 2010. 2011. 2011. Mm-hmm. You'd obviously remember that. Um, <laughs> do you want to kind of explain what what happened there? Oh, it was you had lo- a good weekend. Yeah, it was lovely. I had a lovely time. Um, it was. A pro- like it was one of my standout weekends. It was a standout summer. Like it was Glastonbury and Festival, and I was doing all my jobs, and it was just very, very busy and awesome. And when I got back from Festival, I'd got like um, bites, which you always do when you're mm-hmm. out at summer. <laughs> um, and I thought they were just normal insect bites, and they turned out to be um, bites from a tick, um, which happens to one in. 200,000 people Um, and I'd got really ill one day and was a funny grey colour and my mum took me to um, the doctors and within 20 minutes I was getting a spinal tap and being told I had encephalitis which is a brain infection and And how old were you at this point? I was, gosh 23 23 yeah 23 that's when it was all happening and yeah so what was the kind of what happened there what was the symptoms? What did um, you have to I get was, through or get over? Uh, Obviously, it was a huge panic at the time for you and, 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 and for your mum. I remember a Facebook message kind of saying to people, I'm sorry if Jodie isn't responding to anything, but she's in hospital and she's had, you know... Yeah, um, I, can't really, I can't really remember much from the first few days because mm. the minute I'd gone to the doctors, with, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk within 20 minutes. And then after that, That's I was insane. on so many, I was in, on so much like medication stuff. It's kind of all a bit of a blur. But it was just the worst headache you've ever had in your life. It was like somebody had like thrown a rock at the back of my head mm. and it was constant. Had I, anyone thrown a rock at the back nobody, of your head? Nobody, I don't was, think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think they did. Um, and then I lost all the sensation down the one side of my body and they thought I'd had like a mini stroke and I had to learn how to walk and I had to learn how to write and hold things and mm. it was it was a lot to get over but then after that that's when the ME kicked in and that was the biggest that was the biggest challenge yet I'd yeah. lived the brain infection over and over that's insane so I mean just just n- n- not that I'm wanting to 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 harp on anything in particular but it, it blows my mind the thought of as as a writer and as an artist and, and creator to have to learn to to write again learn to walk learn to do everything again mm-hmm. How was that as an initial thing to think, this is what I've got to overcome? Or was it just you go into automatic, there's no choices here, this is just, this is happening? I was surrounded, like my family have kind of um, always been, we get on with it. Yeah. You can't, there was no time. You're there from was Birmingham. No, yeah. You're from that's a fact. Exactly, that's there was ingrained. no time, for, there wasn't a time for like a pity party. Like obviously they they were worried and cared about me but we were doing it together and it was a team effort and I wasn't just learning to walk and we were and it was hard and there was tears but there was a lot of laughter and it made it that time I don't look back on and it's not the worst thing that ever happened to me it it happened sounds crazy I know it happened and we got over it and I learned how to walk and I learned how to write and I did it yeah um, so it's yeah, it was difficult, but it's done. And then, and then, what came n- next? Because I know you, you kind of being as determined as you are, you you wanted to go back to work. Yeah. You wanted to work and do things. And I went how to did your night. All... I, yeah. um, I'd got I'd gone back to work in the f- February. No, maybe the beginning of March of 2012, mm-hmm. and I was better until um, probably the beginning of May. And I'd gone down to um, We Are Lizards and hung out and I was fine. And then come back in in the middle of May and I crashed and my legs went 
I couldn't walk and nobody knew why. And I was back in hospital and they were doing tests for things like MS and crowding on my brain because they thought I was going to have to have brain surgery. And then some people thought it was just migraines. Some people thought it was just from the encephalitis. And it was a whole process of having to rule things out. And whilst they were ruling things out, other symptoms were coming along. Like I was having mad, like massive fits and I was having about 10... 10 15 a day mm. that were really violent and scary um and they were putting me on medication that was creating them and then they were taking me I had to be taken off them and it was just a really scary time and then I got diagnosed the ME um yeah. which didn't really make anything better it kind of just put a label on it yeah so I mean, it, it, as, as as horrible as it is it must be all the more scary and I remember again I remember I told you at the time and then not knowing what was wrong or not knowing if things were helping if things were making it worse that kind of uncertainty I think it's great that we've got the NHS and everything else in such a great medical system but there's so many things particularly when it comes to the brain that we just don't understand and it's petrifying that it's trial and error when the stakes are so high. It's trial yeah. and error on your brain, on the thing that controls everything exactly. in your in your in your being. So exactly. Yeah. Um, so when they told me I had ME, at first it was the, oh, I know what I've got, yeah. and then it was like, there's not actually anything to kind of help it. Yeah. I can take painkillers. Were you aware of what ME was um, at I'm the time? Only through research, like whilst. Um, whilst I was ill looking at different things that it could be and Emmy had come up um and been shot down yeah and when they when they gave like told me I had it I became very aware that I wasn't the only one with it yeah and that there's a lot of people and it's only really just been recognized as something there's still a lot of people that will well still see it as like yuppie flu so so, so can you explain Emmy a little more (laughs) I know it is a very misunderstood one I know there was a big um Ricky Gervais got a lot of stick because in one of his stand-up things he kind of he mocked it and made light of it and again I think it's from an ignorance and a a lack of education on what ME is because it's such a as you've said it's such a hard one to define I guess so it's tough that I'm now asking you to define it (laughs) yeah like people that mock it I kind of just want to just say you know what do what you want come and live a day in my shoes like because the worst days um I can't I can't walk I have to move around. I can literally only move around on my bum, like around um, the top of my house. Um, I can't pick things up. I'm covered in burns and marks from where I've like dropped hot things on me. Um, I find it hard to find words. Um, My memory's really like even now my memory's terrible. My concentration's bad. It's the worst time. I can't actually remember the last time I went to sleep and felt rested. I haven't had a rested night's sleep. I couldn't tell you when. So when you you got the text from me asking you to come in here now and then remember loads of stuff for like an hour, that was obviously a heavenly invitation. Yeah. It's kind of poor it's, timing, I guess. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things you kind of have to learn to just get on with it. And because it's invisible and because you look healthy most of the time, and except my really bad days where I literally do go the colour of like, I just go transparent. Mm. But most of the time I look really healthy, but inside, like in my head, there's... I'm having the amount I have to do to kind of leave the house every day and to like function is so much more than anybody will ever see, realize, or I'll explain to people. So, um, yeah, it's difficult, bit of a challenge, yeah, and a a lot of different symptoms and a lot of things to to get over. So, you had the diagnosis now, Mm -hmm. what was what what kind of happened next, and what was the, the process? Um, I got given a diagnosis, I got given a sheet telling me um to do some graded exercise and that was it yeah and i was sent on my merry way yeah um and then oh we've solved that problem yeah we solved it and i felt like um it should be solved now because i know what it is then the guilt sets in um because you're not getting better even though you know what's going on and technically things should be working now Mm. it wasn't and that's when the depression kicked in and it kicked in (laughs) so hard because you're trying to live a life you're trying to live the life that you were before you were ill but your body can't keep up with it anymore Mm. so it's a constant battle trying to push its limitations when 
you can't and it won't let you. I think it's it's really interesting your description there of it, it being invisible. I think that must be a, one of the toughest things because it, it, it would be so hard to not question everything at points and question what's yeah. real and what's not real. I've completely it's, doubted it's everything. Completely, it's, it's not something that you can... Yeah, take a photo of or show on paper or say, here's what's... It's like, it's, exactly. it's you're getting the physical side of it, but another day you're absolutely fine. So, yeah, like if know, I had a broken this? leg, I could point and I could show yeah. you and I could... Like, it's broken, this is when it's going to get better, this is when I'm getting my cast off, everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. With this, I don't know. I don't mm. know if tomorrow I'm not going to be able to, like, move. Um, yeah. I don't... I just don't know. And it is invisible and, yeah... It's that's the frustrating part of it because people, if people, some most people need to see something to believe it, yeah. and I think I'm one of those people. Yeah, so sure. I started doubting everything. I kept thinking that I'd made it up, mm-hmm. um, like really made everything up. Um, I thought I was like a fraud, yeah. um, especially because when you're ill, you have to go like having to be on sickness benefits and stuff like yeah. that. I. I was just like, I don't deserve to be on them. I'm not actually sick. I'm making this up. And the depression that came in with that, and you you just get into like a big ball of like, it was self-loathing. Like you hate yourself for something you can't control, but nobody else can see. So it's all within you. You can't do anything with it. Um, And it's, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, So at this point, people are probably thinking this is going to be a really miserable and unhappy podcast but I think it's in my opinion it's the most uplifting and positive one we've done so far so during all of this when all the depression had set in um how did you deal with that what was your solution to get into to bringing yourself through and giving yourself that drive and a positive thing okay so um one night we'd come back from the doctors and they basically told me they couldn't do anything for me. I kind of had to just ride it out. They'd given... I'd had about 300 tablets at home and just laid them out and had that moment of either I'm going to I'm gonna end it now because I don't feel like I'm strong enough to get through to tomorrow mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to find something that makes me want to get up for tomorrow. And that's what I did. Um, I thought there's going to be other people that are feeling like they are in like the bottom of the barrel right now. And I'm going to try and find them and we're going to get out. And that's when I set up One Million Lovely Letters and sent like a call out to everybody on the planet. Um, if they were having a bad day or a bad month or bad life, um, to contact me by email. And I'd give them, well, I'd write them a handwritten lovely letter. Um, the letter you'd want from your best mate on your worst day. And I expected one or two people to contact me and thousands did and yeah. have and it hasn't stopped yeah it's it's it's, it's amazing and mind-blowing that at, at such a point when you're you've been through so much you've finally got a diagnosis expecting that diagnosis to come with a solution but if anything it was the complete opposite that diagnosis came with right we know what it is there's nothing we can do about that go away and deal with it and then to be that far down the line and your solution is to to reach out and help others um and I think that's why this has been so embraced um, in general. So, yeah, you you set up the, the website. So, initially, you just put out a call and started doing these lovely yeah. letters. And how did it all develop well, from there? Because I, I know I, it went kind of crazy yeah, pretty bit, quick, really, in the last bit. few years. But let's try and take it gradually <laughs> along that journey. Uh, well, I set the website up. It took me, like, 20 minutes. And then I just posted it on Twitter and Facebook. That's mm-hmm. all I did. Yeah. And then within an hour like 50 people had got in contact from all points of the world I think one of the first ones I got in was from um, Australia mm-hmm. the next in the next few years one from Delhi um, yeah. one from Manchester one from Chicago like it just started coming in and I think it's because it's just it's such a simple idea um, it's such a human thing like to kind of reach out and be like you know what it's going to be alright like mm. I'm a bit broken like yeah. I'm I think when you put yourself out there, I'm like, you know what? I'm a bit broken. 
but we're going to get through this. I'm getting through it. Let's do it together. And yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. And I think that's why people have responded to it. And I mean, I, I, I think it's beautiful. It strikes me. And to kind of go back to that original talk of that teacher saying, if you if you write like this, you can never be a success or never be a writer. I think something that struck me from the first time I heard your poetry was it was so relatable and personal. It, f- it felt like you were almost overhearing a conversation. And mm. I think that's why the lovely uh, uh, letters work so perfectly because you have a way of instantly feeling familiar to people and making people feel comfortable and and familiar in that way as well even like when I was doing my writing my poems I've always wanted it to feel like you were sitting next to me and I was just telling you a story and I was talking to my best friend I'm I'm a bit of an open book which comes with like it's advantages and disadvantages but I kind of don't care like I just put myself out there and see what happens and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad but it's doing me well yeah and people are relating to it so these initial first load of emails obviously without having to go into any detail but what kind of things were people coming to Um, was it similar to what you'd been through or a million different oh when I say from the whole spectrum I really mean it I mean from somebody wanting a letter to put on their fridge to someone going through depression to someone who's just lost somebody to terminal illness to a 70-year-old, not a 70, he was 81, um, 81-year-old man who had lost his wife and didn't have someone to like eat biscuits with yeah. and he wanted me to write him a letter just to just because he was feeling lonely. Yeah. People that have had miscarriages, like children that are getting bullied, teenage girls that are going through eating disorders, young, like young men that are scared of coming out. Like yeah. it's everything and it's not just women. A lot of people think it's just women, but it's right down the middle, the same amount of women, same amount of men and it's all into my little inbox. Is there any point you've panicked and felt kind of not unqualified but unsure of what to how to approach these things because obviously there's some huge subjects some small subjects but you know have you ever felt nervous in that way that wow they've turned to me what do I do I think because I've never ever like on the website and stuff I don't I'm not saying that I'm going to make things better Mm -hmm. I'm not a counsellor Um, I'm basically just another ear I'm just somebody else that's going to be in your army to like fight your battle like I'm not going to fix it all it's it's, it's one of the things I've always loved about the uh, Samaritans I didn't I didn't realise until my mum started working there years ago um, who's a a big fan of you as well I always mention this (laughs) um, um, and that they're they're not there to try to claim to help anything. They, they're not even allowed to discourage you from no. taking your life if you choose to. They're there to be an ear, to hear what you to, to, to hear when you need someone to hear. So was that a similar kind of approach on your side? Yeah. Was to go, right, I'm not going to be the world's saviour. I'm not going to claim to be that. I'm going to s- s- set out here to say, look, just let's chat. Let's Let's... You know, in a way, an opposite to the Samaritans in that not necessarily you just being someone for them to share their problems with, but more the opposite of you just being someone to just give some positivity, kind of in context or out of context, but just that outside person to say, "Look, you're you're good." Do you know what I think? I think part of it is that just to make it valid make the fact that they're feeling something valid like because a lot of people are like oh I know I know so many people are going through so much more than me and things like that and it's just like no like what you're going through it's real and it's yours and you're allowed to have this moment it's a great point I I hate the term um first world problems because I think oh. that really plays down just because worse things are happening in the world it doesn't mean that what you're going through is irrelevant or not absolutely crushing or possibly too much for you as a person to handle exactly. um, and I think that's such a weird it's always been one that annoys me that it's, it doesn't it shouldn't, have, it's not a competition of no, who's you don't have to most be miserable hu- it doesn't you don't have to be superhuman like yeah. strength doesn't come from just like taking the world on it it comes from being like you know what sometimes just being vulnerable and being like i actually do need help i need somebody to talk to there's so much strength in that and the more people are like first world problems it's just silencing people and making people um making people's voices smaller than they should be and that's how you lose people yeah and i just yeah that it really annoys me it really 
grinds my gears. Um, so you got f- 50 or so in the first hour, mm. and that's, that's pretty much where it ended, right? That was that? Was that, was that <laughs> oh, the end no. of it all? No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, after, after that, um, I got contacted by... Um, oh, what happened next? The it kind day, of got picked up by everyone, it, it got right? Pick, yeah, everybody that could pick it picked it up did. The, the um, Daily Mail yeah, were one of the first, yeah, and then found, s- numerous different publications yeah, and TV. I found out, and oh, sorry, oh. Um, I found out the Daily Mail had written something when everybody else did. Really, yeah. um, my Twitter blew up, and someone was just like, "Oh, the Daily Mail have written an article about you." And I had no idea. Um, so obviously this um, article was about the project, but also about me. It got various things wrong, but yeah. also that it did capture the essence of the project, yeah, sure. which was great. Um, but then... I mean, it's good to hear the... Uh, you know, you know that if it's the Daily Mail, it's going to be appallingly researched, l- loads of poor information and loads of horribleness. But this was a positive story yeah, that they were using their, their was, weaknesses. So exactly. at least there was, it was still an uplifting, positive thing, still, despite any... It, it was still and that's me hating on the men, not Jodie. <laughs> She's being very n- n- neutral, so that's yeah, fine. Yeah, it was so. still a bit of a spin like, oh girl with life-threatening illness yeah. does it when it, it kind of didn't come from that but if that's the way they needed to do that that's fine yeah, with them sure, that's course, what they need to do but um then i got an email from hodder hodder and stone mm-hmm. um saying oh um we'd like you to write a book and i was on my way to the hospital at the time with my mum and i was yeah. just like ha who's hodder i don't know who hodder yeah. are um <laughs> they phoned me and they were like look us up and if you still don't believe us then fine but i promise you we are a book publisher yeah um realized they were and they put me with another lady called kate barker who was amazing and we wrote one million lovely letters mm-hmm. um then i also got contacted by the ted people yeah. in birmingham and did a ted talk yeah. um on the project Yes, um, I, I, I feel we're, we're going at a million miles an hour that now. That all so, happened within three months. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. So we'll, we'll get back to, 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 to the book side of it. But, but let's quickly talk about the TED Talk, because I think TED Talks are a fascinating thing. And I think, again, it's, it sounds like I'm being negative about everything. I think they've got so big now that, not that they're diluted, but there's so many different things in there mm-hmm. now. Whereas I, I think... Um, yours obviously I watched it and it was just it got such a huge reaction because of it was just you up there kind of telling your story essentially and being and being there positive yeah, so how was, was no that mirrors. it was literally just me getting up and chatting um and, it was, and, and, and you say that as if it's a small thing but how was it like just before you got up and I had chatted? a panic attack yeah um I had a panic attack I was really ill that day I was with um I was with Polar Bear mm-hmm. and my friend Zia and I was sitting at the front having Shout a panic attack. Zero Ahmed. Um, I had a um, panic attack at the front, and I text both of them to say that I was going home. Yeah. And I turned around, they'd boasted up, like looking for me. But <laughs> it was brilliant. it was horrific. I was in in tears before I got up there. Um, but I was in tears because it really mattered. Yeah. Um, nothing could mattered more than that. Um, yeah. Actually, being able to tell the story and. Um, I felt so inferior to everybody else on that day mm-hmm. um, because there was people that had discovered mountains and mathematicians. And loads of mountains. I know, and I know, but these guys were really incredible and I just felt like... Discovering it? How do you miss it? I like, know, it right? A, but he discovered mountains. Yeah, these, these weren't this here guy. before this guy. <laughs> and then there was me. And yeah. um, out of all the talks that day, that one got the most... I don't know, most response. Um, yeah. And it was nuts. <laughs> I think it's key to this story as well, which I think gets overlooked in some of the, the pushing of it, in the in the, the fairy tale nature of it. And and having known you th- through this whole time, I think it's key to highlight that it wasn't all bad, 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 and then the good stuff happened and you were healed. This All of this oh, manic no. three months, you were still incredibly ill. And obviously up and down, but still incredibly oh, when ill. I was, um, when... Um, the TED talk had ha- um, I was still fitting mm. and I was loads of like I was still fitting I was still very unwell um, during the writing of the book um, I had a really patient ghostwriter like yeah. she was very patient with me but I had a lot of ill days days yeah. where I couldn't write because at that anything. point as well as you you touched on the fit in there there was points where you'd fit 
numerous times in one day and be, oh, yeah. you know, kind of Constantly. unable to do anything because yeah. you're just, yeah, you've um, lost control there. Lost control. Um, I was, they were outward fits the med, from the medication that they put me on. Um, the fits that happened were very outward. I'd punch people. Yeah. And kick people and have this Hulk like strength. Mm. I'm a pretty dainty little flower when it comes to Indeed. <laughs> everything. But apparently I was as strong as the Hulk and <laughs> yeah, it would exhaust me and I'd end up in hospital and there was one night I was in recess for like six hours and they'd given me enough like diazepam and stuff to sedate an elephant and yeah. I was still going. Um it was terrifying. It was terrifying. It was really hard to balance everything. And all the while you're still having to then go, Oh wow, I've got a TED to go and do or I've, I've got this book to write yeah it was hard and I don't think I ever truly enjoyed it um, and yeah. that's the thing I'm a bit sad about yeah. um, even with the book and stuff there yeah. hasn't been a moment where I've gone oh I'm proud of that yeah um, I only recently for the first time ever in my whole life said that I was proud of myself which was a whole nother thing but there was throughout it all I haven't actually sat there and gone oh, wow, this is happening because I've been so... It's kind of going through a field, a really beautiful field with a steamroller behind you and you've just got to run. You can't look around because if you look around, the steamroller's going to get you. So I've just had to keep running. And, yeah, I think at some point I'm going to sit down and think, oh, wow, that was awesome. But it's not happening yet. Um, I mean, we'll go into the the book now, but just before we do, I've just had another thought that I meant to say earlier. One of the things I think that worked so beautifully about the project obviously that's what we're going to talk about in the book but is the fact that it's a hand handwritten a letter do you think psychologically that makes a difference to people as you were saying to make them feel validated and and valued that it's not just an email because emails now and texts can be so such a brief thing and they're so discardable and 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 throw away so the fact that they were getting a physical thing that someone has written and you write them in lovely colorful pens with stickers and all sorts of other things do you feel that was or was that a conscious thing or was that just a natural thing that just happens to i think have been one of the keys to its success um commercially obviously but also just on a personal level on the the success of how a a written letter coming through your letterbox when you're feeling that isolated uh, yeah i've always found um like written notes and letters to be a little bit of magic like i've kept things from when i was like in primary school from people like in boxes under my bed and it's always just been just there's something a little bit like like spectacular about it and the reason I wanted to handwrite it is because these people were sending me their life stories um and I wanted them to know that for that moment in time like all my focus was on them and yeah. I wanted to put everything back into it because they've yeah. just given me their everything. Why shouldn't I give it, them it, mine? It, it would be easy to be s- cynical over email and assume there's some kind of template message exactly. that's then slightly adjusted to be personalised. But a handwritten letter, that can't happen. This but is yeah. handwritten. This is each word at a time is personal This is, is like personal f- from me to you yeah. and like in the rawest form. And it's, I just see it as a little bit more... When a handwritten letter turns up on your like in through your letterbox, it's so different because we're so used to bills yeah. and so used to even normal letters are all typed now. Yeah, like yeah, everything yeah, is typed. So a handwritten letter, I just think it it's just so pure, and that's yeah. what I wanted it to be—just a really pure form of like you know what, you're awesome. Yeah. So so through all these ups and downs and fits, you you got the book written, yeah. and then yeah, did anyone read it? Did that did that, did that do anything? Apparently so. Apparently <laughs> some yeah. It, it's her yeah. It went into the bestseller. It went into the Sunday Times bestseller list. That's crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I feel like a fraud when I say it out loud. Like I haven't. I don't really say it out loud very often. Yeah. When it when it appeared on the paperback, I make you say it out loud every time we see each other. Just, just say it again. Like even Sunday if you Times see me now, list, I'm yeah. just like. Because I don't, I don't feel like someone that should be a Sunday Times bestseller. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stories that should be Sunday Times. I'm not sure if mine should like. Is that important? But well, you can't I d- fight it. it I know is, you it's can't. It's there. It's, it's done, and people are responding to it. And 
it's awesome but it's also made me the most vulnerable I've ever felt in my whole entire life so um, it's come with I wouldn't change for the world because so many people are aware of the project now yeah, that's awesome but behind that so many people are aware of me yeah. and I'm quite um, I don't know I feel it made me feel very exposed this mm-hmm. whole thing has made me feel very exposed and I'm just yeah, kind sure. of getting used to it and hearing that some people might think well obviously coming on Screwiest Pips a world renowned <laughs> podcast is a risky thing for the amount of exposure you'll yeah, get it's the only time I get to talk to you let's go, yeah, it's true <laughs> but let's go through a few of the other bits of exposure you've got which may seem like any mild exposure from this would be <laughs> pretty much unnoticeable what yeah where have you been and where has this been covered uh, since the release okay so i'm gonna forget things so you're gonna have to yes, prompt me I'll um, try to. we've been on the news all of the news um bbc breakfast um the guardian um made the independent happy list yeah. made uh the sunday telegraph and you were sitting there on the, on on the bbc breakfast as well right yeah. you've been that it's not just they talked about it they had no. you in and going yeah they had right. me on there they had me on bbc world news with john sopel yeah who was terrifying um they've had me where else have they had me they ha- oh i mean the coverage in america i was just is about kind to say oh yeah that happened um i did i didn't but um it got covered in on the today show um, Good Morning huge. America, um, People magazine, yeah. um, NBC did something. And that was all happening, like, whilst I was sitting, like, in my room back here yeah. with phone calls coming through from New York going, oh, can you, can you tell us about this? Can you do this? And it, yeah. I was just like, this isn't, this isn't happening. This isn't real. But yeah, that all happened. Um, what else has happened? I mean, it's crazy, all of the, all of the different... The, the the support in the media on TV and on radio has been has been huge. How have you kind of balanced everything in that respect? I know it's easy to get caught up in these things, but I mean, in general, it's easy to get caught up in these things. But when you've got a serious illness, how do you you balance that and find that um, to work? And how how angry has you, has has your your mum had to get at you for? taking on too much oh she just had a right go at me before i came (laughs) but um i'm still learning um every day is um every day i have a little bit of a fist fight with myself because i think i'm only just learning to be kind to Mm. myself just learning that this body is probably well is the only home i'm ever gonna have it's the only one i'm gonna have so i've got to start to kind of be a little bit nicer to it. I think people, it's easy to forget that people you read about in the media or anything like that are, are humans. Um, I had a Sage Francis on the podcast a while ago and it's a completely different thing, but he kind of highlighted about people complaining about when you don't come to a certain place on tour and he tried to explain that he tours as much as the human b- body can allow like there's only a certain amount that you can do going to traveling to all these places and performing every night and doing all this and that's a healthy human yeah. body so there's there's limitations to this so how have you found have you had any kind of backlash from the idiot public who don't kind of realize <laughs> that this is a real human here that's that's started this quite innocently yeah um has now had her whole life changed but is still trying to respond to as many letters as possible but that's going to take a hell of a time and it's a hell of an undertaking a lot of the majority of people are patient yeah and know that when they send a request like i had one lady that didn't get a request um her letter for six months because um obviously the peaks that they've been in sun in like one week I had like a thousand emails come through. Yeah. I'm still battling through um, letter requests from like May. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have been patient, although um, there's been a, a handful or two or three um, that try and get me um, and they'll say, where's my letter? Um, this mm-hmm. isn't real. This is a con. I had a guy yesterday who I was doing a 12 hour day um, writing letters and it was hard because these letters aren't they're not just 
get better. Quick move, yeah. These course. are life stories. These are some of these letters you cry through writing, mm. and it's really difficult. And a guy had messaged me on Facebook on my Facebook page for one million lovely letters, um, and he'd emailed me through Facebook, which I can't respond to. I was going to say, and just to clarify, you do you. you have to because of how big it's got you have your email yeah um, applications essentially or, or or requests and that's where it all has to go for because there's no to. way of keeping um a log or note of if it's on you're getting f- f- facebook messages twitter messages instagram messages yeah. it's kind of it's not you being mean in any way but to make this a functional thing that you can f- again that a human can exactly. do it has to go through the email so spe- you have um, to ignore generally ignore yeah, the facebook like, messages and things like i that. can look at them but i can't keep note of them and also i'm going to throw it in my me won't let me think more than like one thing at once yeah, really yeah, if course. i start throwing different things into the mix it messes me up and i get yeah, ill like yeah. so this one guy had messaged me i hadn't got back to him after two weeks and was like oh this whole project is a con you yeah. don't write letters and I just broke down yeah. um, because um, I've had to start putting... I'm learning that I've got to start putting boundaries yeah. um, between, like, my little fortress, which is me, and the rest of the world yeah, because I've had people running. Particularly with that much exposure, it's yeah. kind of incredibly tough. I mean, I'm willing to declare now that I will start up... Um, what should I call it? A thousand nasty letters <laughs> just if you just forward the people who <laughs> accuse you of being a con or whatever yeah. i'll just write nasty letters to them saying yeah, you're not about the first fuck person. you <laughs> you're not the first person to say that <laughs> people have been saying i'll do one million horrible letters i'll yeah. do this but this i i the way i've like dealing with it yesterday i was just putting a status up and saying look you're so, everyone is so patient but there's some people that aren't and it's really difficult and please bear with me and the amount of people that rallied behind me yeah, and support, were just like you know what it doesn't matter you're doing this this is stay true to it and that's what I'm trying that's what I hold on to like the, the first reason why this project started and the only reason I continue it mm. is because it's a lighthouse yeah. And it's not just lighthouse for me anymore. It was a lighthouse for other people, and that's enough. It's it's not yeah. ha- what it's grown into. It's what it was and what it is. Yeah, and course. I try and everything else that's going on, I know can fade out. Like the exposure will go, yeah. everything will go, and they'll just be me and my letters. And yeah. that's what I hold on to. It's, it's quite an insane thing that people hear of this project and fall in in love with it, but. 90% or you know a large percentage of the correspondence you have are going to be people asking for something from you which is the nature of the project yeah. um I'd like to put forth publicly now that the Facebook page any messages on that focus on just telling you how great you are and not requesting anything you know what I mean it's, it's kind of crazy that it's it's such a nice thing yet it's kind of predisposed and naturally set out that all you're going to get is people wanting something even if even if they're saying it's lovely what you're doing can i have a letter blah blah you know etc etc so it's quite a weird yeah weird and situation. I will give and give and give and give but people just they just have to bear with me a little bit because i do still have days where i'm gonna have to have a day off because yeah. I, I can't get out of bed and it's and it, your mum is gonna kill you she, every time oh i see your mum she's always concerned that you're overworking <laughs> she and she's been so supportive and everything along the way awesome. just coming along to different things that you've done yeah. always been your kind of your partner at all of these events and and so many of these things so i she's, think she's my best friend my yeah. greatest ally um yeah. she's been absolutely magical she's um the slap around the head when i need it yeah and um, before i came here she was just like i'm gonna come with you i'm gonna t- i'm gonna tell pip exactly what's going on with you do. <laughs> and i was just like no mom you, you stay at home when, you stay- <laughs> when we did a similar thing to this live at, um at camp best i kind of interviewed you on stage and number one there was numerous points which there should be if you're listening here where people broke into rounds of applause over some of these things but <laughs> Number two, the best thing was just glancing every now and then over at your mum, sh- shaking her head as you've taken on <laughs> another thing. And that was my kind of indication of, right, That's I know what is, is acceptable we and what's too much. And what's, we have a language and looks. Um, and if I'm ever doing too much, like when I did my press tour with the book, my yeah. mum came with me yeah. because she says no when I should because um, mm. I have a tendency to just go, yes, 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 to everything. And It's white people, I mean... It, it, I 
don't I know people get mad at it but I think when people get to a certain level of fame or attention I think it's not just acceptable but essential to have a manager or an agent or someone that's there to not stop you being a nice person but put things into perspective and make it real because you know to, to be able to say no this is actually Jody will say yes to meeting every single person here or writing every single letter but there's a point where you have to say we're going to have to stop for today and move on so I think that's a key thing and I think that's great that you've got yeah. your mum there essentially as your yeah, my security mom's all, yeah she's keeps <laughs> saying she keeps going do you know what I'll be your manager I was just like no no, <laughs> no. because I love her I yeah. adore her but we'd kill each other yeah totally <laughs> um, so I mean t- Two things together now. Um, roughly, how many correspondences have you had so far? And also, how much do you wish you'd named it a thousand lovely letters or ten thousand lovely letters or something more manageable uh, than ten thousand lovely letters would be okay. I worked. I've currently I've got ten thousand um, letter requests in my inbox because I was on um, the television the other week and it just spiked. And what was this this television that, that show? Was, <laughs> I was on surprise surprise. How big was that? Um, little bit. Um, I think three point six million people watched it. That's insane. And a lot of them got in contact. Yeah. So um, it was awesome, but it's also. Um, bombarded my inbox but I've worked out that if I write 33 letters for the next 300 and what was it 33 39 days I'll have the 10,000 done easy <laughs> easy why are we wasting time here what's going on um so so what have we done to make it more manageable because um obviously again you started it as one individual person and then it grew into this huger thing what kind of um, measures have you taken to try and make this because you did a kickstarter campaign yeah. right and how did that all come uh, about and go well i got um i got turned down by some i went to um see some business dragons and because they didn't think it was going to make any money they um set turned down my funding so i came home and i was really disheartened and decided to set up a kickstarter just out of hope that somebody might try like might want to help me and put the for the whole year i said that i'd need ten thousand pounds for it such a small amount again if i was your manager or mum i would have been (laughs) you need to again because all joking aside as you were saying you're taking on 12 to 14 hour days to get this this done so for assistance or for people to to reasonably get on board my, you know that's a, that's yeah. a tiny that's a tiny amount my mum and my friends had to um actually shout at me to talk in a wage to yeah. the budget yeah. because i was saying oh i'll do this but then i'll get a part-time job and be able to fund this from here and this from here and they were just like stop yeah. because you've got to remember like you're going to kill yourself yeah. like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, go- yeah, yeah. You, you're doing too much but um it got funded within the first four days of it being up and when I ended up with getting £12,000 after like taxes and things but it ended up with 12 and now it means I have a little office so it's separated from my house yeah. um, because it was so it, my whole house t- was taken over by yeah. letters and now I have my own little office and I'm getting volunteers in to Amazing. help me out and I'm going to be able to do workshops in schools and I want to start pairing um schools up and colleges and universities around the world and starting like pen pal things yeah, so yeah. one group of strangers to another just reminding us that we're we're all good yeah. and it's a lot to do but yeah. i'm gonna do it i think i think i'm gonna be all right that's amazing it's, <laughs> it's so much to take on and 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 to do um yeah what is next is is is, is that the focus now to to continue with this to do the workshops to are you planning any other projects another book it's, 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 it's a horrible thing to ask, really, because <laughs> I always remember um, Dave Gorman, or seeing an interview with Dave Gorman and him saying how annoying it got, because the first thing he did was travelling the world to find other people called Dave Gorman. And that isn't his life. That's one thing he did. But then after that, like, so what's the next project? And again, this is similar. It's not... If people know your story this wasn't a project that you set up this was 
saving your own life and you know it, 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 I'd be happy if you never had another project because if what has to cause that project is you to get to the edge and being you know needing something to pull you back then let's not have any more projects basically <laughs> but um this right now is um so big I need to kind of find my feet back in it um and work out a structure to make it not only like it's gonna be sustainable but just so that I can cope in it yeah um that I can balance things and get more people in and get more hands on deck um I'd like to write another book but that's gonna I want that to be later I want that to be once I've cleared all of this I don't need the stress of of all the letters coming in and then having the book and then more letters coming in I need to I need to clear my way a little bit before I take anything else on where can people contact to go about offering any help or to is is there is the kickstarter an open thing is there can you take more funding or are you going to start another one um i I don't know do you know what i find it really 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 difficult um to ask for help Mm. i hate it um i know you're a fan um of the ted talk from amanda palmer which is about asking for help and about having the bravery and ability to ask for help so exactly so and the kickstarter for me that was it was like it was so like I felt it was the most amazing thing in the world but it took a lot of like oomph to do it like I had to kind yeah. of talk I myself just to just put a PayPal button or something somewhere so people <laughs> well, can just give you money if they choose to which as said there's millions of people aware of what you're doing and amazed by it so well, I it shouldn't up, be as much um, as a struggle is I know, isn't it, well is. on my um, on the one million lovely letters um, website before the kickstart before everyone else everybody would always say how do we donate to it we want to help you out we want to help you out with stamps and things so hidden on my website and it's quite hidden um there's a button and it says if you want to um you don't have to but if you want to like donate for stamps or orangina or something (laughs) like you can you can put some money in but don't feel like you have to um i don't want to feel like people I don't want people to feel like it's they need to pay for a letter that's yeah. not what it is if they want to awesome because it's it's work but I think it's far more natural people wanting to donate because they don't need a letter because yeah. they're not in that point you know it's kind of nice to to not to know that you don't need that it's yeah. again it's it's just when I spoke to my mum about what made her join Samaritans, it was because she was suddenly very aware that she'd never needed to call them and felt incredibly lucky at that. So it's kind of a nice thing to go, right, some people will read or hear about this project and think instantly, I need a letter. But a lot of people won't, and that's something that I feel is even more of a reason to support and, and get yeah. involved. Not that I'm, I'm, I see you <laughs> squirming in your chair now because you don't, don't want help or, or don't want to ask for help, but that's me putting it out there. Um, we're almost on an hour now, and I want to sw- switch up a little bit. Um, are you writing still, like, p- poetry and spoken word, or do you plan to write more or again? Um, I've s- N- Not to add more things to your plate. No, but it's OK. Um, I'm actually doing my first... Um, poetry performance properly um next week oh, uh, wow. bang said the gun um, oh, and bang I'm he- said the gun's an amazing poetry night as well it. this will have this will be going out after that's happened so you'll just be <laughs> you'll just be able to it. look and hear about how amazing <laughs> it was but um, yeah that's one I'm, of my f- i was in fact the first time i went it was because uh, you and i had agreed to go and you never turned <laughs> up so i didn't um, actually agree to we'd go agreed to this, loosely. This. in my mind you know i don't actually go out much in my mind with lucy said we should go to that and then i'd thought right that's happening um <laughs> but i didn't regret it at all because it's such an amazing night and it's, it's awesome. the first place i saw rob alton who a, a lot of people so who much. follow me on twitter will know that i just think is the best thing in the world I um think- and just as a night I think yeah. it's great I think the vibe and everything it doesn't feel like a poetry night or mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like what you'd perceive a poetry tonight to be if you've not been to one or in fact if you've been to one because it's so unique it's got such I energy it's and one. yeah it's, I think it's I the best one agree. I love it um, and going it just makes me happy um, but nobody knows how important next week is to yeah. me because I, I've had the biggest the biggest case of writer's block and I think it's because everything else has been happening yeah. and it's not writer's block when you're doing 12 hour days of yeah. other stuff it's, it's, it's that you're physically too busy to do this yeah it's, 
So I'm attempting to write at the minute, Amazing. and we'll see. I've gone. I've and gone you can be doing old stuff so as well, or oh, have you? That's, <laughs> that's always your your best. Yeah, the minute I've been to a heartbreak, my poems just get. It's like an Adele yeah. album. That's how yeah, I it really it. is. It really is. So are you going to be doing old poems and new some stuff? Some old, some new. Which um, is now leading me to say, would you be up for doing something now as we're towards the end? Or is that I know I've sprung that yeah. on you. I haven't discussed it in advance, yeah. and I know <laughs> with. I've, we've spent ages discussing how it's hard to get your brain to function correctly I and all know, this, and now right? I'm randomly going, can you just do a poem? Yeah. Are you up for if that? I, if I mess it up halfway through, though, we'll just start we'll just talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be fine. So what do you fancy doing? Uh, I'll do Drive Home because um, it's right in my head all the time. Perfect. Um, it's about seeing the person that you love um, in 20 years' time and they're married with kids and you're pushing cats in a pram I, I remember at first hearing this and I'm sure you basically said that it was incredibly influenced by Adele um, yeah it's, someone, I, like, I listened to, to someone this, like you and then just going like right a million times yeah. and I was just like oh my god I need to go I need to write something like that's your my version of it yeah 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 and that's what it was we'll go ahead oh I hope I remember it I'm scared I'm scared in 20 years I'm going to come looking for you. I'm scared I'm going to have waited that long for you to remember everything I always knew. You'll look back and you'll remember my face from some place once and I'll try and recreate that spark in my eye that made you fall for me in the first place but this time it won't be love, it'll be heartbreak and it's weird how shiny they make your eyes for different reasons. You'll introduce me to your wife as a friend you once had and kids that we'd named on various drives home. I'd make up a husband, if only to hide being alone whilst praying for your divorce, but I'd never act upon it. Nah, I promise. I'm just scared all this is actually going to happen. I've got to prepare myself for it. You'd offer me a drive home and I'd pray for traffic. Talk about current affairs whilst I counted your eyelashes. 93 over 90. I hoped you'd lost the last three on wishes about me. How some days you couldn't be without me, but I'm guessing it's just old age at this point. I'd repeat, I'm not okay with this, over and over, so loudly, pressing the hazard light repeatedly in the horn so everybody could hear what heartbreak sounds like, hypothetically. I wouldn't actually do that, but I'd want to. I'd touch your ring finger and say you'd be inappropriate, and I'd say, well, sometimes you've got to feel it to know it, so that's not how it works. I'd tell you to touch my chest so you could feel how it hurts, and you'd do it, just to prove your point, and you'd look back on the road once I'd proven mine. If time is a healer, I'm counting every last second. I should talk about planned holidays, but I wouldn't listen. You'd say you're being stubborn. I'd say, well, at least you remember one thing. You'd shout, everything, and break. We stopped on double yellows, and I waited for you to elaborate. You didn't. You never elaborated. You made your point, expecting me to guess it, like I have been all this time, and silence never echoed so loudly. I know that sounds cliche, but it hadn't. I said, look, breathe once if you love me, and stop if you don't. You smiled and said in one breath, there's a spark in your eye that even now makes me think you're capable of ruling the world, and I've thought this day through a million times, but I didn't expect it to still hurt, and I know you still like rum and raisin ice cream. I can smell it on your breath. I loved you for the longest time, but sometimes you have to forget. We drove on. Fifteen minutes it took. I looked out the window and imagined myself in a Miranda July story and looked at other passengers in love with their drivers. I spotted one, maybe two. You have a beard now. You've never liked facial hair. It made you feel like a hobbit. You look dashing. I hate it. I thank you for the drive home and you apologise for the traffic. I go to close the door, you shout, 83 over 90 eyelashes. Breathe out if you love me. This was getting over you. That's it. <laughs> thank you very much, Jodie. And I'm so excited to hear that you're, you're doing more spoken word and hopefully... Yeah returning to all of that we're kind of over an hour now and I don't want your mum to text and get mad at me so we'll start to wrap it up but can we just end quickly on can you just tell me a few of the amazing exciting people that you've met since all of this has happened because I remember years ago before all this happened 
a, you and I would speak about a little club that that if, if we could pick who we wanted to come and <laughs> hang out with us and have dinner with us. No, right. And I know that certain people in that club you've now met and engaged with. So oh, no, it's can you mad. can you tell us some of them to, um, to keep that smile on everyone's face? Who have I met? Um, I met Miranda Hart. I was going to say I know Miranda was definitely in that club. <laughs> She's definitely in that club, and I greeted her by running up to her and saying you're my favourite person of all time ever and her looking at me and patting me on the head and going oh thank you Delightful. and like giving me a little cuddle that was nice that means we're best friends um, I'm going for dinner with Stephen Fry casually on the 11th of December amazing somewhere which is going to be nuts it's, it's like having insane. like having dinner with Yoda it's yeah. going to be ridiculous um, who else <laughs> have I met uh, who else <sighs> I think that's I think your idol Miranda and yeah. then Stephen Fry still got, is still like got to meet still you still, still got, got to meet Adele. Adele. We've been, been trying to put that up for so long now. It will happen. It's next on the list. It's got well, to. thank you very much for coming and chatting, and yeah, just look forward to seeing everything that's that's ahead. Where can people go to keep up on everything you're doing and uh, to just watch on in awe? Wicked. Um, I'll be on Twitter at Jody and Bickley. J-O-D-I-A-N-N I'm on Instagram with the same thing mm. and um, onemillionlovelyletters.com and if you want a letter it's onemillionlovelyletters at gmail.com not don't, Facebook don't messages don't do it don't email I'm, every time we do this I was like why are you asking for me? You've got t- she's got 10,000 to get through so just chill out just send support and maybe money and we'll and leave it at that and, and cuddle exactly <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. And yeah, see you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Scrooge's Picks. There we have it. If you can manage to wipe away the tears, um, that has been Jodie Ann Bickley. Um, I love talking to her. She's a dear, dear friend. So it was great to get to sit down and talk to her regardless of the podcast, but even better to hopefully get her story out to a few more people, particularly as it's one that's so personal to me because I kind of feel I was in the middle of it for a lot of that time, which was a very odd, odd thing. But... Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed that. On next week's podcast, we're going to have another person that I've spent a lot of time in the middle of. That sounds really weird. Mr. B. Dolan. Um, a lot of you will know that we just did a Speech of Animal Records tour and B. Dolan was the headliner on that. Thank you very much for everyone that came along to that and made so many of the shows, sold-out shows. Um, but it's not just a show. He's he's He is a rapper, but a lot of you who know of him will know that he's also an activist. So we have a really good chat about politics, about independent music about you know making a stand for what you believe in and all sorts of other really interesting stuff so i recommend you check that out please subscribe on itunes or at scoobiespip.co.uk on the distraction pieces podcast tab um yeah thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week peace